I think of、um, humanity as a team, and I feel like for you know a few thousand years now, we've only been playing with half of our team, and the other half has been sitting on the bench. So to me, feminism is all about rallying to to support those that have been sitting on the bench. Um, which is mostly the female half of our team, and、um, and 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 getting the whole team to realize what a benefit it is for us all if we're all playing to our fullest potential. You guys, welcome back. You are listening to Let It Out with me, your host Katie Delbout, and I also wrote a book by the same name. If you're new, it's called Let It Out. It's available now on Amazon and Barnes and Noble, wherever you shop. Anyway, I record this podcast, and it comes out every single Wednesday. I talk to inspiring people, creative people, fascinating people, interesting people, and today's guest is all of those things. Her name is Anaya. Beautiful name, beautiful person. I got to spend a lot of time with her a couple months ago when I was in LA, and just recorded this conversation a couple weeks ago. And I sat at my computer just now, listening back to her wisdom, and I just love being in her presence. And this, you will get a sense of once you get listening to this podcast. It's a very meandering conversation as usual. We talk about parenting. We talk about her organization that she started, Real Girl, which I love. What it is, what it does. We talk about, you know, her career and her story and her advice on relationships. Her advice for teachers and parents. She hosts a parenting podcast called Rad Parenting, which. Is rad, <laughs> and I loved, which we mentioned in this podcast. Even though I'm not a parent, I listened to an episode and found so much value in it. It's a great episode. As usual, if you like the show, share it. Share it with a friend. Share it with a family member. Share it with anyone you think it would help. It helps grow the show. You know what? Listen, you guys. We in our category, which is society and culture. If you're curious, last week I checked my phone, and guess what? We were number one hundred and twenty-one. How cool is that? It only goes up to one hundred and fifty on my phone. But you know what? The Let It Out podcast, this little thing I record for my bedroom, it was up there. It was number one hundred and twenty-one. So, if you want to help grow the show, if you want us to stay one hundred and twenty-one, because when I looked later, we were higher up. But anyway, still good news that we're still in the top two hundred. Maybe. If we all leave reviews and we all subscribe, because that's the algorithm, right? Like you, we all got to subscribe and get our friends to subscribe. It's like giving the podcast a high five. But maybe if we all do that and we all leave a review and get a friend to leave a review, maybe we'll be, you know, one hundred and nineteen next week, or you know, maybe we'll be number like seven someday. Who knows? It would be really cool. It helps me grow the show. It helps me get some really great sponsors, so I can keep doing the show and doing the show better and doing the show more and doing more live episodes and getting really awesome, cool, fascinating, interesting, creative guests on the podcast. So if you have someone that you want me to have a conversation with, shoot me an email. There's a way to do that on the website. You can just 
suggest a guest. Actually, speaking of the website, amazing podcast producer extraordinaire Amanda, she made a whole new donate page on the website. It's so much less complicated than the last donate page that I hobbled together. She made one that's so user-friendly, so if you want to support the show that way, you can always donate, and Amanda made it a lot easier to be able to do so. So... I hope you guys are having an amazing day whenever you're listening to this. Enjoy my conversation with Anea, and I will talk to you guys at the end of the episode. Well, thank you so much for, for doing the podcast. Um, I really have wanted to have you on since I had Val on several episodes, and I've been so eager to, to get you on the podcast and talk more about you and your story and of course real girl and how we can stop screwing up our girls and you're yep. like I said you're one of the in the intro to this that I record before but you're one of the smartest coolest role models I have in my life and I'm so glad that I met you and I got to spend some time with you like we were saying before when I was in LA a couple months ago and I'm just so excited to share you and your work with my audience. So thank you so much for being here. My absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to it. Yay. So I guess I wanted to start by introducing you to everyone. Tell us the inception of Real Girl. How did it begin? And I know your story is very weaved into that. So mm-hmm. let's, let's just go ahead and start there. Okay, sure. So when I was in grad school, this is really the, the where it began specifically with Real Girl. When I was in grad school and I was doing research, I came across a study out of NYU that said that the average girl's self-esteem peaks at the age of nine and then plummets. Mm. And that in itself took my breath away. Yeah. But what ma- magnified it for me was really two things. The first was that at the time I was already, you know, had a private practice working with both girls and women. My oldest client was like 59, I think. And um, as I thought about that, uh, that data, I thought, oh my gosh, I think what I also know that's not being stated here is that uh, not only does it plummet, it rarely, if ever, returns to those you know, nine and under levels, because I was consistently working with women who were coming to me and saying, I just, I don't know how to feel worthwhile. I'm constantly feeling not good enough, whether it's professionally or personally or, you know, whatever. Um, And then the real, the real kicker was that I realized it was my own story. And, um, that's sort of where my own, we can go there whenever you want, but mm-hmm. when my, my, you know, my own personal history really, uh, started to, to play a, a significant role, I think in my, yeah, I'd always been determined to make a difference in this, in this realm of like supporting girls and women. But when I came across that stat and I realized, oh my gosh, like, like this is my story too. Um, so it just, it, it, it started from there. And so then when I was in grad school, we, we had to do a it was like a community project, like come up with something, come up with a way that you can take this expensive degree <laughs> and uh, theoretically, you know, make a difference in the world or do something for your community. And so I uh, drew up this little blueprint for what I envisioned as a, um, 
an attempt to address the issues that, you know, that around this whole self-esteem thing, but that would have a really deep and lasting impact. So while there were lots of great girls organizations out there, and there still are that are doing important work, I felt like what would we need to do to really get to the root of the problem, to not just sort of play on the surface, you know, we were, you know, three waves of the women's movement and still girls and women plagued with this feeling of not good enough. How could I get to the heart of the issue and still have this like fun, dynamic experience for girls that would really be transformative? And that's, that's really where it began. I presented it to my my uh, my cohort and they were, they thought it was great. We piloted it, you know, in January of 2011 to a really interesting, diverse group of girls. Um, and it's just grown from there. Mm, that's so amazing. And I want to go back a bit to pick up on something that you said, and I eventually want to get more into Real Girl and what it does and, mm-hmm. and how it works. And obviously, you know that I know a lot about that because I did the instructor training with you. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want everyone else to hear about that. But first, I want to go back to you mentioned when you were coming up with Real Girl and the idea that, like it often does with us, we use our own experience and our own story to create our work. So you mentioned that you realized that there was something within your story and your past that that needed to be addressed. So let's go back a bit with okay. your story and what were you doing before you went to grad school and tell us a bit about, um, you know, your relationship to yourself and your femininity and feminism growing up and when you were younger and how you got to the grad school program that you went through and, and what that was. Sure, sure. Um, yeah, so let's, I mean, what I guess what I should say is that the, my, the grad, my grad school program was one of only two that exist in the country, um, and it was a, an actual master's degree in women's spirituality, which differs from a women's studies program in that it has a lot of the components of a women's studies program, but it focuses more, it had a strong sort of psychological, particularly transpersonal psychological component, but even more importantly was that it really um, got to the, to the root of exploring how do we make, how does spirituality factor into the way that we collectively make meaning um, or derive meaning in the world and how have women been left out of that construction over the, the last you know few thousand years and how was it before and how do we find our way back to that which is a really important part of not only our own personal healing but then how we go forward in terms of participating with the construction of our reality and creation creating meaning and so on so that's where I ended up if you if you want to sort of go there and then where I where I started was um, when I so when I discovered this this thing this stat about girls' self esteem peaking, and I thought back to my own history. So I grew up uh, with um, a very sort of um, you know better than average in terms of stability. My parents are still happily married today, which I don't think a lot of it for now fifty one years. And and when I say happily, I mean they actually still really like each other. <laughs> um, they're not just sort of, oh, we got another year under our belt, which I think is an important distinction. Yeah. So I grew up in this, you know, on the prairies in Canada, you know, rural upbringing, um, really down-to-earth parents. Uh, in The prairies in Canada, for anybody who doesn't know, is very similar to like growing up in the Midwest. So if you know anyone from the Midwest, <laughs> it's a very similar sort of dynamic and personality and interaction and values. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, and so um, I would say, like my memory, right up until I hit puberty, was really feeling invincible. Like I could do anything. Like I could be anything. Um, I in, in fourth grade, which is when it would have been really peaking, I was writing, directing, and acting in plays for my entire school, charging a small admission fee to raise money for our fifth grade camping trip, and um, just not overthinking what I wore in the morning and how I looked and all of that. I just really felt like I was very connected to my world and capable of whatever I set my mind to. And then as I entered adolescence in earnest, let's, let's call it like we really, most people don't know that, you know, girls start to enter adolescence around seven or eight years old. But I mean, puberty, like real signs of like, oh, my body's changing and hmm, I really, boys really sort of matter now. Um, when I started to move into that phase of my development, things changed very quickly. And I moved from, I'm sure a lot of your listeners can relate to this, um, I moved away from being um, the driving force in my sort of day-to-day life and experience um, to having second and third guessing everything that I wore, everything I said. I mean, it still makes me emotional to think about it because it's so, it's painful for me to think about that, that that movement away from myself. And um, by the time I was, uh, 16, I entered my first serious relationship. I had my first real boyfriend. And I ended up in that relationship for m- probably a little more than four years. And uh, at its worst, it had become emotionally, psychologically, and physically abusive. And it took me a while because that didn't just happen at the end. And then I was like, oh, I'm out of here. Like, you can't treat me like that. I wish, I wish that had been that had been the story, but it wasn't. The story was that that probably happened, you know, slowly it moved toward that at about the two year mark, it got it got really bad and I stuck around for, you know, another two years after that. Um, and anybody who's been in an abusive relationship knows that, uh, you know, every incident, you know, that, and often it does begin with like, you know, verbal abuse or, you know, some form of emotional abuse or psychological, the things that are a little bit harder to put our fingers on. And so that by the time the physical abuse is happening, it's, it's already, you're already so far gone in terms of believing that you are worthy of having anything more, that you would be lovable to any other man, um, that it, it's not just such an easy thing to, to, to pick up and go. So when I did get out of that relationship, which I'm thankful for, I, um, and not to say that I'm, you know, I trust my, my story and my path and there's so much I learned from it. And I think it's, it was part of the journey that I was supposed to take and the work that I'm now doing in the world. But when I got out of that relationship, I was determined, A, to understand how that invincible little nine-year-old ended up in such a destructive, harmful relationship. And two, because I saw it happening around me as well, I wasn't the only person that I knew that had been in this kind of relationship. I thought, I need to understand how this happens. So it sort of became my mission. I worked with, you know, girls at risk right, you know, right out of high school when I was in college in summer programs. And then I came out of high school and went right into the classroom. I was really passionate about, you know, being able to affect change in that context. 
And um, by the time I moved from Canada to California to the States um, and started teaching high school, which is my first like long-term full-time teaching job, I started to consistently see girls who I knew were functioning beneath, well beneath their, their potential. This women's spirituality program, that sounds mm-hmm. so fascinating. Had What was your relationship to spirituality and I mean you addressed a bit about your experience with um, growing up and your self-esteem but how did you decide how did you find that program and how did you decide to to go through it what what was your experience like teaching high school that led you to that eventually um well I think you know it was there was there was a step in between and the step in between was that um, as as I as I kept digging deeper with my own, you know, because this is what we do, right? When we're, it's like healing a wound and the wound is so deep that we have to keep peeling off layers. And, um, in my quest to understand how I had gotten there. And also I think I need to say like how, cause I looked around how collectively we had gotten to where we are. Cause I always say that it's like the most absurd joke ever played on humanity that, women and men, men and women have somehow been convinced of women's inferiority in spite of our capacity to bleed for seven days and not die, to grow whole new human beings in our bodies if we so choose, to feed, (laughs) to sustain the lives of those babies with our bodies. And, And yet somehow we are walking around collectively looking at and treating women as though they are inferior, as though their value is just sort of, we could just, you know, take it or leave it. And at some point on my own journey, I had this sort of aha, like, oh my gosh, like, how did that happen? And so I started to dig deeper in terms of like how, you know, what are the different things that we, that go into us constructing our sense of reality and what is valuable and and so on. And so um, one of the bits, one of the books really, because I I had, I really sought out, um, there was an entire year of my life, in fact, where I only read books written by women. And it wasn't a like, you know, screw you to men. It was just more like, I need to create balance. Like all of these years, and I was in my probably early 30s at the time, I have read almost exclusively books written by men. I was a history and English double major. Most of the history books I read were written by men. Um, most of the works of literature because we deem great works of literature primarily those written by men and I just thought you know I'm going to try to balance out what I'm putting into my brain and and you know get some female perspective and anyway so during that time I also discovered Lynn Andrews and I read Medicine Woman which was the first of three uh, of a trilogy that she wrote and I was just blown away like it was one of the few times that I was reading this book and I felt like I was reading about myself. And I don't mean in a kind of like, even in a slightly detached way where you're like, oh, this totally reminds me of my life. Like I felt like I was in the book and somehow it was about me. I don't know how to explain it. But, um, and so then I sought her out and I I studied under her for a couple of years. And, um, and then it was during that time that I started to create some workshops, like just sort of dabbling in like, what would it look like for me to take what I know and start sharing it with girls? Cause I was of course keenly aware of how 
much time and energy I had put into this healing process based on my own experience as a girl. And I just kept thinking, wow, what would we be capable of if we didn't have to put all so much energy into healing our wounds and we could just remain whole? And um, so I um, sent, I I found, there was another really pivotal book that I had read that I highly recommend, um, which is called Shakti Woman. And that was written by Vicki Noble. And um, I reached out to Vicki because there were some things in her book that I thought, wow, this would be really potent to use. And um, she got back to me and she was the one who said, you know, I think you might be interested in this in this grad program. And so I went up to kind of visit the school and see what they were doing. And I was just blown away. And I'm sure, again, like uh, many of us can relate to that moment of being like, I just know I need to do this or I this is where I need to be or whatever. So that's how I ended up in grad school. Um, yeah, that's how I felt about Real Girl. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah. what do you think, what was the experience like going back a little bit before grad school? What was the experience of teaching high school like for you? And do you feel like there are things from that experience that I feel like there's, you know, so many skills, I'm sure, that come into play with Real Girl? So in the work you do now, and I, I kind of think everything happens for a reason. So for sure. what what was that experience like for you? What did you teach? Tell us about that a little yeah. bit. So um, I uh, primarily taught, I taught um, freshman or ninth grade English, and then everything else I taught was pretty much world history, which I loved. And um, I, you know, yeah, so it was it a was really potent um experience for me and I it was a time you know kind of like without even intentionally doing it that became this really important time of of research for me that's really what I was doing I hadn't set out to do it I wasn't doing it in a super you know structured way but it gave me you know 10 years of exposure to adolescent girls because there were also a couple of years in there I was teaching middle school where I knew I mean they were coming to me and I was witnessing firsthand what these girls were struggling with it was also taking me back to my own experience which is also not shocking to me now in hindsight I say to moms all the time because the moms will often come to me and say you know I haven't thought about some of these you know adolescent wounds or bumps or whatever in years and now that I see my daughter going through them they're through through similar experiences um, it's all coming up for me again and I'm mm. struggling and I think that that's something that's really important for us you know to be aware of and so me as a teacher I was, you know, interacting with them in a slightly different context than as a parent, but nevertheless, it was, you know, I was close to them. I had the opportunity to see. They were communicating with me. I was witnessing, you know, I even had parents that would come in and be like, "Where, where's our daughter? Like, what happened to our daughter? This kid used to be getting, you know, straight A's. She was outgoing. She was happy. And we don't even recognize her. And, you know, when that happened, you know, time after time, I, it just increased my, um, my commitment and my curiosity to really understand and get to the bottom of what was going on with these these girls who had such tremendous potential and were either deliberately making themselves small or they actually believed that they were just small that they shouldn't take up too much space you know i'm sure that and that, that's something i know that you're familiar with like you know when we talk about eating disorders and this whole idea that like we keep getting all of these messages that you know as women we should just sort of like not take too much t- take up too much space not say too much 
um, all of which communicates indirectly and somewhat directly that, that what we have to say and the space that we occupy in one way or another just isn't really that valuable. Yeah. Yeah. It was just crazy. And so great that you were able to see that and, and create something that totally helps combat that. But before we move on to talking about what, what Real Girl is, and a lot of the listeners, if they listen to the episode I did many episodes ago with Val, they know a bit about Real Girl, and I've talked about Real Girl before in the podcast many times. But before we do, we have a lot of teachers that listen to the podcast. So mm. what would you say to, you know, no matter what grade or, or age group they're working with, just some, you know, while we're in that topic of your experience mm-hmm. teaching, what are some things that teachers specifically can keep in mind to help with some of these things we've we've been addressing when it comes to girls well I think that um, y- you know for, first and foremost and I talk I speak a lot at, at schools and and with parents about the importance of creating girl conscious educational environments and that is not to say that it you know we have this tendency to be like well if it's about girls then it's not about boys that is not what I'm saying we're just trying to balance things out and and we can you know talk at some point even today about you know me moving into the realm of working with boys as well and why that's so important but um, creating a girl conscious environment me- can mean things that are as simple as regardless of what subject you, you're teaching. So if you're you know middle high school teacher you, where you're teaching maybe just one or two subjects or if you're in an elementary school level and you're teaching all of the subjects, consistently looking for opportunities to show girls examples of women who have achieved, uh, you know, just they, they've made contributions, they've made achievements in those particular subject areas. And that can take a variety of forms. It can mean make sure that as you get your classroom ready for the new year or tomorrow when you go back mm-hmm. into the classroom, um, that you have a balanced representation of quotes and successes and contributions of both men and women in the world. You know, Misrepresentation did a phenomenal job, the documentary, um, of, you know, with the whole, you know, you can't be what you can't see. I mean, that is a fundamental truth as far as I'm concerned, that there's so much that goes into the way that we construct our reality that we are not even aware is going into the way that we construct our reality. And one of the biggest things, and, you know, there's all kinds of data to to back this up in terms of the way that the brain works and that just... You know, kids, you have a captive audience. If they're in elementary, they're, they're sitting in your classroom for roughly six hours a day. If you teach middle or high school, you have any given group of kids in there for at least one hour of day. Adapt, well, they're staring at the walls, sometimes to your dismay. Give them something to look at, look at that shows them what they can be. And it's not just about showing the girls the, the, the um, contributions that women have made to the creation of society, but also showing boys. And I don't just mean that as like, so that boys know they should, you know, appreciate and respect women, but also to take some of the weight off mm-hmm. so that we're not raising boys that they're supposed to shoulder the entire burden of building and sustaining our society. That in fact, they have amazing and very uh, well-equipped partners who can do this with them? So everybody wins when we start to, when we start to uh, construct 
what they see and what their reality is on the day to day. So basic things like that. And none of this can happen, by the way, until we do the work ourselves of becoming aware of our own programming, whether we're teachers, we're parents, we're coaches, we're counselors. We have to look at our own like, oh, so what what is my perspective on the value that women hold, on the value that men hold, on the reality of working in partnership or not, as has been the case for a very long time. And that will start to influence not only sort of more overt decisions like the examples I've just given, but also the way that we speak, the things that we call out. Um, there is a really phenomenal book written by Peggy Ornstein. You know, a lot of w- people know right now her, her most recent, you know, Girls and Sex, which is her most recent, you know, amazing uh, work. But I used in my, um, my master's thesis her, um, her book, and I think it's called School Girls, and it was all about girls' self-esteem. And she talks at length about like these incredible studies she did and, and wor- working with teachers, this is like 30 years ago, who were, would do things like um, if a class presentation had to be done in, on a social studies topic, saying to the girls... I want you to imagine that you were a man in this particular scenario and saying to the boys, I want you to imagine what it would be like to be a woman in this scenario. And there being such resistance on the part of the boys to take on the role of, of women in history and in, you know, even in the, in present day. And that's a whole other, I mean, we can certainly go down that, that, that road, but that's always just indicative of like what it is that we are saying collectively about the the value or lack thereof for women when it is considered to be demeaning for a boy to act like a, a woman even as a as an assignment in a classroom and yet it's always acceptable for a girl to take on the role of a man well why because we consistently say that it, it means strength it means courage it means honor it means value to be male and to be female means usually the opposite almost across the board. So anyway, all of that is to say that there are these small things, subtle things that we can do in terms of the way that we guide conversations in classrooms, the questions that we ask um, to more overt things like the posters that we put on the board or the additional you know, uh, materials that we bring in that are maybe a little more gender balanced than the traditional textbooks and stuff that we are you know, often required to, to use in the classroom. Yeah, oh, all of that stuff is so good. So for people who maybe aren't familiar with Real Girl, let's go ahead and get into that and what it is, what you guys are doing right now. And, you know, I think maybe a a good place to kind of start with it and and feel free to go wherever you want to go with this Mm -hmm. this question. But, um, and I really am eager to hear about what Real Girl is in your words, but you wrote this amazing book and I would love to to hear about the inception of that and and Mm -hmm. how the the idea came for you came to you for that but I think that is really the pillars of of real girl really come Uh from your book um which is called it's amazing and everyone should read it it's (laughs) called nine ways we're screwing up our girls and how we can stop so how did that idea come to you and and how does that work into real girl and and then go Uh ahead and tell everyone what real girl actually is sure okay so 
It's like you know, 12 questions in one. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, interestingly, they're all tied together. That's what I, that's what not I a surprise. So I had said that, you know, so when I was in grad school, um, the, finding that, that NYU stat really led me to be, become clear very quickly about what my master's thesis was going to be about. And it ended up being about, you know, what I call the self-esteem crisis among girls and women in the Western world. And, um, my all of the research that I did for my master's thesis, you know, which ended up being like a hundred plus page document, I had kind of envisioned like, oh, well, I could just translate this into less academic language and have this be something that would be available to not only parents, but counselors, coaches, and women and men, like anybody who knows a woman, anybody who is a woman, whether you have girls, you know, daughters or not, or you're working with, with, you know, girls of whatever age, it is, I wanted it to be sort of an eye opening, you know, here's what's going on. Here's what we're not talking about. We're, we're talking about some of the more overt issues, but we're not really getting to what are the societal messages that are part of our religious practices and traditions that are part of our school curricula that are part of our, um, sort of uh, certainly part of our media, so on and so forth. And so that was what I originally thought was going to eventually happen. Then, as I had told, you know, as I had said earlier, in, in terms of the, this little community project that, that ultimately became Real Girl, that is, which is a Real Girl was sort of in somewhere around the same time as me doing all the research for the thesis. And so Real Girl is informed by the, you know, the research that I did at the time and research I've done since. And then the book that I thought was going to be like, oh, you know, I could just translate this. I'll bang it out. And I don't know what I originally thought. Um, became a whole other undertaking is the truth. Um, I, the, the title came to me in a dream is the, is the, is the honest answer to the title. (laughs) And, uh, I, I pitched it to somebody who I was working with at the time. He's like, yeah, that, that, that's the title. And, um, he challenged me to see what I could write in 30 days. And I don't, you know, I don't want to get too much into this, but this, this particular person had a personality that I was like, oh, bring it. Like I can do this. And so I wrote the outline for the book thinking, of course, because I was still thinking in terms of just translating my thesis, that that wouldn't be that big a deal. I was able to write the outline in 30 days, but as I wrote it, I realized that this was going to be a whole other journey that was going to require me to go even just just deeper inside myself and start again continuing to sort of like peel back layers and be like what's over here and what haven't you looked at over here <laughs> and yeah. so um the book was um my 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 intention was to write a book that would be really accessible conversational non-shaming because we do a whole lot of parent shaming in our society i was really important that it be a we um, experience that I was coming from that place of, you know, this is what we are collectively doing. Um, the good news is that if we are creating it the way that we are currently creating it, that means if we take responsibility and acknowledge that we always, we also then have the power and the ability to create it differently. And I really wanted to bring put on the table in a, in a sort of gentle and sometimes not so gentle way. Um, all of the things that we have been doing for generations that are keeping um, girls and women in this space of not good enough. Yeah. Um, and 
And so I did. And it was painful and it was terrifying because it's such a personal, it's, it's a very, like there's so much of me in it, which yeah. I don't, you know, beyond the regular ways that when you write a book, as I'm sure you can relate, um, that, that are, we are, we, of course we're in it, but this was really, I mean, I share, you know, anecdotes and different experiences that, that I had, including the one I shared at the beginning of this uh, with my, the abusive relationship I was in. Um, but the result has been quite phenomenal in terms of, you know, people who read it that say, oh my gosh, I never, I didn't realize, because this is the problem is so many of the things that we're doing are happening in spite of really good intentions as parents, as teachers, as counselors, et cetera. Um, and, and it's this, all of these things that we're doing continue to sort of fly beneath the radar because they become so part of our cultural fabric that we don't even see them. We don't even realize how detrimental and how we are perpetuating um, the state that girls and women are in in terms of their self-esteem, self-value, if, if I think is the word I really like to use because it really nails the – I think it, there's it's, – the word self-value is just meatier. It really gets to the heart of what we're talking about when we say self-esteem. And then also how our ways about our sort of collective disdain – for the feminine is also informing the way that we're raising our boys and is doing them a huge disservice. And I don't really get into that in the book, but the next book is going to be about boys and how we're screwing up our boys oh, and cool. two are connected. So, yeah. So the book came before real girl, the program, is that right? No, actually the, the program had already started. Um, it was, you know, so the, I wrote the book. So real girl launched in 2000, January of 2011 and the book came out in 2014. So it was like, you know, about halfway point of real girl, then the book, and then, you know, it has continued to grow. And as you know, cause you've done the training, real girl is a living curriculum, meaning, you know, the research that we do that informs the, the activities and, and just the, the curricula in its entirety um, is, is always growing and changing because it, we're, we're dealing with complex creatures. That's what human beings are. And so we always have to be making these changes and um, incre yeah. increasing its potency and, and efficacy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's key, especially with the demographic and the age group and especially in the, you know, the internet age and how quickly technology is changing this younger generation really would not respond to something that seems at all stale and so That's it's right. so great that it's living and breathing and, and updated and and so you were in something you know in the instructor training that it, that I really really appreciated from you and there was what was it was such an wasn't it an amazing group that we had it was I, I and this is not to take away from previous groups it was one of the most extraordinary um, experiences just in terms of like just the mix of personalities and um, just the age range, right? right? We had a really extraordinary, you know, age range, I think from like 23 to 63. Yeah. Um, and it was such a beautiful thing because, and I always say that when women, you know, come out and do the training because the training can really be uh, you can you can take it as a training like and, and one day I want to be a real girl instructor and even if you decide you never want to be a real girl instructor for whatever reason it's such a transformative experience to sit in a circle of women and have this sort of contribution and guidance um, yeah it's 
it's amazing. Yeah. It and was, it was an amazing group, yes. It really was. It was a magical group. And, and I commend you so much for listening to us with um, – suggestions or like hey have you seen this video and this should be part of the curriculum and listening to you know different things that are very similar to what's in it now but maybe just you know an updated um video or an updated perspective and i think that's so important is taking in all of that and knowing that this new generation will be so receptive to new content which is which is so cool so for, for everyone listening, tell us a little bit about what Real Girl, the program, is and how it works and how people listening can, you know, get involved or learn more about it. I've already had so many, just in the, the few times that I've, I've mentioned Real Girl so far, so many people have been telling me that they want to become an instructor or they want to have this for their children or for their daughters. So tell us about what it is and how the camps work and the after-school programs and, and kind of where Real Girl is today. Sure, sure. So um, Real Girl is a research-based, self-esteem-focused um, program for girls um, we start with girls now we've bumped, we originally started with girls at the age of nine now we've bumped it down to eight which is really exciting because given that the data around you know when when self-esteem peaks the earlier it's just always easier to be proactive and keep something whole keep something in place than to have to do damage control it's not hopeless. I certainly am not like, well, you know, if we can't get them before they're 12, forget it. Like, it's, it's not like that. It's just really exciting when you see these little eight and nine year olds come in and, and um, there's just so much potential and you're really just sort of like affirming it. So it's based. So the core, the core curricula is um, nine modules and um, they every single module is based on um, the issues that I, you know, in my research determined, like, here are the messages that girls are getting. Um, we are going to directly counter those messages, but we're going to help them become aware of where those messages are coming from, how they might be affecting the way that they see themselves, and help them create a filter so that they can in future, because those messages aren't going away anytime soon, right? I, I wish I could just like wave a magic wand and be like, okay, we're, we're living in a balanced world where we, you know, value both male and female uh, everything. Um, and so, uh, so, so basically, every single module um, we, it, it, you know, is, is addressing these core messages that girls are getting that chip away at their self-esteem, and we want to develop a sense of personal agency, a sense of personal value. Um, we do a lot of, you know, the very first module is discovering your real self. So this whole idea of like, what is it? What does real mean? What does authentic mean? What does what does it feel like to be your real self? What does it feel like to not be your real self? And every one of these girls, even at the age of eight, immediately when you ask that question, they know what you're talking about. They know what it feels like to say, well, I wanted to say such and such, but I thought that she might not like me if I did. Or I didn't know what, you know, that that person or and because and this is part of the thing, entire chapter of my book, by the way, as you know, um, on raising pleasers and how although we do it a little bit with boys, we definitely do it with girls. And so discovering your real self, um, you know, is, is a way of 
we start there because we want to give the girls a foundation and, a, and permission and a safe place to explore. Okay, so who am I already becoming? Because I think that's going to please other people in my life, my parents, my teachers, my siblings, my friends. Um, and then who am I really? What are my values? What makes my heart sing? What do I feel passionate about? And then it goes from there. So creating your own path, the whole idea of girls having agency, being able to be authors of their own stories or captains of their own ship. They haven't got a lot of that modeling. I mean, we're just now in 2000. 16, hopefully going to have our first female president. People underestimate what it says to girls when we say, and they hear through the media far worse, that a woman is not capable for any variety of reasons, not capable of leadership, not capable of stability, not capable of, you know, uh, holding power, um, et cetera, et cetera, to, to be in the most powerful position, arguably, in the world. Um, so this, I, the second module is creating your own path, then media and body image and media and gender roles, right? Which is pretty self-explanatory, helping girls become aware of all of these images that they're seeing. And then when we get into gender roles, not only the images you're seeing like in magazines, but what do you see people doing and what messages does the media have about what we value and what we maybe don't value so much? How are we saying that girls should act, dress, look, behave? What are we saying about boys, etc.? Then uh, my favorite is your magical, powerful female body, and I think you know. I think maybe you and Val talked about this, but just how fundamentally it Im- important it is to keep girls connected to their bodies. We do so much body shaming, and um, specifically, we really dive into teaching girls about their entire cycle, their entire menstrual cycle. It's not just about having a five to seven day period, it's about an entire cycle and how their hormones work, and we do it in different, you know, each, each age group has a different curriculum based on their developmental needs and so on. But um, that's hugely important. So when girls leave going, oh my gosh, I have a superhero body, I can't stress how transformative that is. Um, And then we get into creating healthy relationship with yourself so that you can create a healthy relationship with others. Um, And then, you know, conflict resolution, assertive communication, uh, self-defense, and so on. So all of that stuff is part of these nine modules. And our goal is that the girls are going to leave um, fundamentally changed in terms of more than anything, the way that they see themselves. So that's what it is. (laughs) Yeah. Oh man. Just hearing you go through it again, really, it gives me chills because I I told you this in my application essay to, to become an instructor and go through the training. And I've told you this many times, but when I found your work through Val and Real Girl, I really felt like everything you just went over, all nine modules, are everything I wished that I would have known when I was younger and taught myself through self-study in my early 20s and have gotten to, you know, a much better place. And it's honestly, the nine modules are really things I've been sharing about on the podcast um, since I started the podcast because it was, all this information was so helpful and transformative to me. And I had been thinking a lot about what my life would have been like if I knew this information earlier. Mm-hmm. And then I found Real Girl and I was like, ah, oh, yes, this is happening. And it's so comprehensive and it's so impactful and and honestly so fun too. Like it's just, it's so fun and, and there's such a great community element to it. I just, I honestly, I it sounds like an ad for, for Real Girl and I guess it is, but <laughs> I'm just your biggest fan and... Yes. Um, 
and yeah, it's just so comprehensive. And I, even though, like I said, I'd been learning this stuff about, you know, everything from the power of my body to doing, you know, the deep body image work and, you know, learning about authenticity and becoming better at being myself. I'd been learning that for several years before I found Real Girl. But then when I went through the training, it, I learned so much more. I thought I thought that I knew a lot about that stuff, but I learned so much more and it was just such a great experience. So I can't thank you enough for creating it and having me. And, and it was just, it was such a great experience to, to get to know you and to hang out and, and now have you on the podcast sharing it with everyone else. So Thanks for making Real Girl. <laughs> yeah, no, no, my, my pleasure. And it's always really exciting. I mean, of course, it's exciting for me to hear that, you know, it had this impact on you. But it's also so exciting. And frankly, it, it takes a little bit of the, 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 the pressure off or, you know, what I carry, um, which I've just sort of accepted as like, this is part of, you know, what my work in the world is, is to be. And I'm happy to do it. But when I encounter young women like yourself who are, you know, do, doing this kind of, of, of work. And, um, I, I, it's just, I'm just like, oh my gosh, I'm not holding it by myself. Like, look at the great things that are happening. And I really believe that each generation is going to happen, you know, sooner and sooner, you know, my, my own, my youngest daughter just turned eight and my oldest is 20. And so it was, it's been really interesting even for me to see like the mother that I was, you know, at 26 versus the mother that I was when I became a mom, mom the second time at 38. And it's just really hopeful to me that there are women like you that are seeing this, that are doing the work, that are spreading the word, that are supporting other women, that are changing the way that we view the value of the feminine. And, um, it's just, I'm, I'm equally, uh, grateful to you, Katie, not only in terms of the podcast, but just, you know, the work that you were doing for yourself, mm. you know, is just phenomenal and really inspiring. Thank you. This is so much shine theory. Are you familiar with shine theory? Have you read that article? No, please. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to send it to you after this. You're, you'll love it. Essentially it's, it's this concept and, and Friedman wrote this article, um, for the New York or, Ma or the New York Magazine, The Cut, and it's basically about how one woman's success brings up all of the people around her in her life, and it's it's just essentially like breaking down the notion of competition and how it's all community and everyone working together, and she uses in the article the example of Beyonce and Kelly Rowland and how Beyonce's success as Kelly Rowland's friend is like such a pop positive powerful thing and mm -hmm. I just think you know it takes a village and we all need to be doing this work in our own unique way and working together and I I just love it and I love that Real Girl has so many supporters I mean I like to take the cake as the biggest your biggest fan yes. <laughs> but I'm not alone Elle Fanning is your most recent oh. public supporter which is yeah. such an amazing amazing thing and I just like I was in tears watching her um, talk about Real Girl. And so could you talk about what was that experience like as the founder and creative director of this organization, seeing it spoken about on such a huge platform through Elle Fanning's um, donation to it? Well, it, yeah. So it's, um, oh gosh, as you can imagine, because this has been quite literally my blood, sweat and tears. Yeah. And it's, 
it's just, it's just so much a part of me. And I don't mean that in an ego way as much as I mean, like this has been my own, it's representative of my own healing, just countless hours of just passionate, dedicated work. And so when any time that I hear that it resonates with someone, whether, you know, it's, whatever, if you're, you know, an unknown person, if you're Elle Fanning, it's, it's obviously amazing. And what was particularly exciting was, you know, so that this is how it went down. Elle came out to visit one of our camps last year because we were sort of like, what would it look like? How could we, you know, what what would it look like and feel like to have, you know, a young woman around Elle's age sort of become a, a face, not the face, but a face for real girl so that we're not just dealing with moms and saying, you know, because moms get it right away, but so that their daughters, we're starting to bring their daughters into the into the mix and have the girls being like, I want to do real girl. And so Elle came to one camp, one. And by the time she left, she was just like, like you said, my life, had I had something like this when I was young, would have been so different. Yeah. And um, so now, you know, we, we're sort of like, okay, well, I really, would really like to be involved. And then she got on some big movie and she was in Europe and we we're going to re- circle back. All of a sudden I get this email from her agent saying, Elle would really like to chat with you for a minute or two today. Do you have time? I was like, of course. Mm -hmm. Um, And Elle called and she said, "Um, so um, I'm going to be on the cover of Variety Magazine this month, which is really exciting. But what's more exciting is they asked me if I was attached to any charity that I'd like to support. And I told them real girl. Mm -hmm. And so Variety Magazine is going to send you a check for $10,000. I, it was because let me tell you, ten thousand dollars goes a long way, especially. And this is, you know, we are. I am one hundred percent. The thing about self-esteem is that it is an issue that transcends socioeconomic status, ethnicity, blah 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 blah. It is. Um, I've, I've, it is primarily a female issue. That is not to say that boys and men do not struggle with self-esteem. Again, that's a, but. It's uh, we have expanded into Guatemala as of about a year and a half ago, and our program there is bursting at the seams. Like schools waitlisted, um, on and on. And just to put it into perspective, one thousand U.S. dollars puts fifteen girls through a twenty-five, basically like their entire school year program. And so for somebody to call me and be like, "So I'm going to give you ten thousand dollars," like all I can see is like these girls lives being transformed by this money in a significant way. And, um, that makes all the blood, sweat and tears well worth it. (laughs) That's so beautiful. So, yeah, yeah. So we're, we're super excited to have, you know, Elle bringing attention and, um, speaking about it. And uh, yeah, it was really, really a beautiful moment in, on this whole journey, this whole real journey. Mm -hmm. So cool. So I want to talk about feminism a little bit more. And, I, you know, I was really excited knowing that I had this conversation with you today and jotted down several things I'm going to ask you. And it's flying by. But I, I want to know your thoughts on everything going on in the world and particularly this election cycle and how you're feeling and how you, you know, can kind of give your opinions on on how people can handle their feelings around women's rights and everything going on right now during this this time in the world that we're in. Can you just kind of give us your thoughts on that? Um, sure. That's a that's a that's a big question. Um, I 
um, I think, you know, given, given where we are and what we're facing, um, I think that, you know, the, the political state that this particular country is in speaks volumes. And we know that it speaks volumes about more than just feminism. It speaks volumes about the level of racism, the degree of racism that still exists in this country. Um, and I think what's important, as disturbing as the conversation has been, and as disturbing as these, you know, realities that are being uncovered are, um, the fact that we're talking about them, like anything, right? If you think about just a, a relationship that you have in your life, and you know, well, we're kind of making it through on the day to day, and it's pretty good. You know, we're functioning. We're you know, pretty nice to each other. But you can feel when there's something underneath that's not being talked about. That's sort of this like you know, poison or this cancer that's growing in silence. And I think what's really important about this election um, is that it is bringing to the surface, it is forcing conversations that need to be had for us to really look at the reality. And without being disparaging, I'll, you know, start, I'll, I'll, I'll before I say what I'm going to say, um, it's, I have a little bit different perspective because my, my perspective living in the United States comes with a certain objectivity, not full objectivity, but more objectivity than people who are Americans who have lived here their entire lives. I'm Canadian, born and raised. And so I, from the time I came to this country, I could see things that I knew that people who were in it, which is always the case, just like there's things that we as Canadians can't see, um, that are part of our own crap. Um, but um, is I could see a lot of lip service being paid to like, we're the greatest country in the world and we're all about democracy and, you know, liberty and justice for all. And I thought, like, do they just think that if they keep saying it enough times, it's, it, that makes it real as opposed to doing the work of actually not only creating those things, but actively sustaining them, participating in the the in, in sustaining those different things that we claim to be part of of you know this country's reality so as it applies to feminism i mean everything from the fact that we have a candidate running who has spoken so overtly disparagingly not only about various races but certainly about women and that that's even still a consideration i think speaks volumes about where we're actually at not only with regard to racism but also with regard to sexism and the way that we really view women and that's uh, magnified um, by the fact that we are once again doing all the things, uh, you know, we saw it in the Olympics too, side note, I don't know if you've talked about that at all in your podcast, but just, and I thought it was so great though, that this time around on the Olympics, we actually had really great, you know, on the ball people calling out the commentators that were speaking disparagingly or speaking differently about female athletes than they were about male athletes. And so by the same token, what we see happening, what's coming to the surface is that in spite of the fact that we want to say that we're one of the most progressive countries in the world, it's 2016, the fact alone that we've not yet had a woman in the Oval Office and that now we have the, the ability to do that, we have the p potential to have that be a reality and that we spend so much time and energy poking holes, not on like political policy, although that's happening too, but on things that are related to, to the fact that Hillary Clinton is a woman and that somehow that makes her less, less capable. Um, and it's, that's, it's especially magnified, as I said, given that we're looking at those criticisms against 
her her uh, opponent, who is, in my opinion, a terrifying option. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so anyway, so so all that is to say that I think that as disturbing as this whole thing has been for me and continues to be, um, I feel like the fact that we're having the conversations and it's coming to the surface is a really important precursor to valuable, lasting change. Absolutely. Thank you for that. You're, you're so articulate. So I'm glad that we spoke on that, that topic. (laughs) Another thing that, that we talk about a lot on the podcast and I ask everyone who, who comes on the show is body image. And, And like you said, it's a huge component of real girl, which I of course love, but I would like to know, have you ever struggled with body image? And I ask everyone, you know, if so, does it still come up for you? And if it does, what are some of your go-to tactics to shift out of that mindset and remind yourself of your body's goodness and your Mm -hmm. body's power so it doesn't take you out and take you away from your life? What are some things to shift Mm -hmm. you out of a bad body image moment? So, so the first question was, do I still struggle? And absolutely yes is the answer. That's the honest answer. Um, I, um, so the, the piece that I didn't share about, just because it didn't come up, um, I was, although when I look at pictures, I, I truly am like, well, yeah, I was like a little bit chubby as I was like, you know, entering adolescence and my hormones, I was carrying a little extra weight. I also was, you know, I mean, I'm of Ukrainian descent. So of course I was eating lots of pierogies when I was young. Um, but I got called a lot of names in third and fourth grade, um, like really hurtful stuff that is still with me. I can still remember, I can remember names and faces and names that I was called and, um, when I was in sixth grade, so in, in, in Canada, so maybe it was just a, a, the time more than it was the place, you were in elementary school till you were in sixth grade, and then you went into junior high for seventh grade. So between sixth and seventh grade, I decided no more of this. I, of course, I wanted to be liked and, and feel attractive to boys, and I wanted to not be called names anymore because it was so hurtful. So I went on a diet. I lost, I don't know, 15 or 20 pounds. I also grew. And, um, when I went into junior high, all of those boys that had been teasing me and calling me names were suddenly like, couldn't, were falling over themselves to get my attention. And it was such an unfortunate, clear message that it didn't matter how creative, how funny, how smart I was. What mattered was how I looked. And so it set a really deep you know, it's some really deep programming happened for me around what was actually considered valuable about me. And so it has been a lifelong struggle um, for me to develop a positive, loving relationship with my body. Um, I can tell you that when I started trusting my body and listening to it, and some of that happened as, as I was learning also about like, you know, my cycle and understanding how things were going to shift in terms of, you know, bloating and, you know, energy and all those things. But I, my relationship with my body started shifting when I started learning more about it, which is why it's such an important part of Real Girl. And, um, and so as I became more gentle with my body, I trusted that if I listened, that it wanted a particular food, if I had it and I could have it in moderation, because I could always decide to have it an hour later, or a day later, or a week later, instead of restricting myself, my body found this shape that it has primarily been in outside of my pregnancies since I was in my early 20s. 
So, and I really believe in that, like all the dieting and everything that we do when we fight against our bodies, I think is really detrimental to just allowing, instead of allowing our body, if we make a commitment, which is what I've done, so this is part of my self-love regimen. I exercise regularly, at least five to six days a week. It's not super hardcore. I do spin three days a week and then I do hikes and walks and whatever. And I eat healthy. And what I mean by that is when I, whether I'm exercising or I'm putting food into my body, I try to do it not as a way of like, I'm going to punish myself. So I'm going to work out really hard. Like, oh, I'm going to get rid of that cellulite. Or I'm not going to eat that thing I really want because my body doesn't deserve that. It's going to make me fat. Instead, everything that I put into my body or the exercise that I do is an act of self-love. And I really believe that my body has responded to that because it's a living organism by finding its, it, the shape that it wants, the size that it wants, the amount of fat that it wants, the amount of muscle that feel, makes it feel strong. Um, and then on the days when I'm having a bad body image day, I really do a lot of self-talk. I, I honestly do. I'm just like, I love you, Inaya. I love, look at, oh my gosh, look at like those legs, look what they do for you every day. We do this body appreciation meditation in Real Girl, which is like the, the, you know, a much longer thing. But sometimes I'll just go like, oh my gosh, what would it feel like if your, if your legs didn't work? You know, those, what would it, you know, you're complaining about, you know, your arms getting, you know, looser as you, you know, move well into your forties, you know, but what would it be like if my arms didn't work? Um, you know, complain. I had this thing about my breasts my entire life. And I remember hearing this story. I was at this, like in this like small group of women at one point. And this woman was telling a story of how she and her best friend had grown up being really critical of their bodies. And in their forties, her best friend had breast cancer. And she said, as we were laying, she was laying beside her in her hospital bed. And it still makes me emotional. Her friend said, all of that time and energy I put into criticizing my body, all I want is for my body to just be healthy and not killing me right now. And I think about that when I want to beat myself up. And I think, "Uh -uh, uh-uh, mm-mm, love yourself, be so grateful for your health, Um, love those healthy cells so that they want to keep creating more healthy cells and um, just be grateful that you look the way that you look, that you feel the way you feel. And I think my body responds accordingly. Mm, yeah, it, it definitely does. You are so beautiful and so comfortable in your skin and you seem so embodied. It was really, really magnetic. And I told you this um, when I was with you, but it was so positive for me to be around for the days I spent with you at your house. It was mm-hmm. just really contagious and I wanted to just like soak it up I wish we were hanging out right now like eating snacks and talking in person but um but yeah it it really shows and it's it's so powerful um where you've come with with all of that so you know staying on this topic of body image a little bit can you give us a little bit of how the girls you see and work with are coming in um, in terms of their perceptions of their body and, you know, how real girl is able to shift that for them. And is it different than, it's probably honestly not much different than what we experienced, um, when we were younger, but do you think that it's getting better, getting worse? Kind of what is the pulse on what young girls are feeling towards their bodies? Um, I would say that I believe it's getting worse with mm. be, with bigger potential to get better. Mm-hmm. So by that I mean that I think that what girls are subjected to 
in terms of everywhere media, um, in terms of social media. Um, and you know, so when it, it, there is, there are a few things that disturb and pain me more than hearing about a girl who has been, you know, is, is putting up a, a, a photo or YouTube, you know, tell me, am I, am I pretty or am I ugly? And having <sighs> these like people just so coolly, like, first of all, the fact that she's asking the question, yeah. you know, reminds me of being, you know, myself, sixth grade, going into seventh grade going, so I guess this is what defines if I'm good or not. So I need yeah. to find out, am I pretty or am I ugly? And then to have these people just rail on her because they have no response, they don't take responsibility. And then to hear about girls committing suicide or starving themselves or, or whatever, it's just that, all of that, you know, and subjecting to, you know, social media in terms of people saying really mean things and having platforms for that. Okay, so that's how I think that they're being subjected to something that's even worse than my generation and and probably for at least po- a portion of your, you know, yeah. young years. Um, yeah. the the thing that I think that it's getting better is I absolutely believe, and the fact that you know your podcast exists and you're talking about the subjects that you're talking about, is I believe that there is a collective awakening that is happening. I believe that sort of the divine feminine is what I would call it is 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 coming is 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 waking up. You know, it's like the the goddess is like just is stirring, and um, I think that the fact that we are talking about things like menstruation and I and I always go to that for a very specific reason and again full chapter of my book dedicated to the subject because weak menstruation is something that is defining it is something that specifically defines a female body as being different from a male body and if we are going to tell girls either by making it a taboo subject that we say nothing about and therefore saying a whole bunch about it um, or that we are going to overtly shame girls about that we haven't got a hope of them feeling connected and loving toward their bodies done so that's why that's we go we go straight for it and i think that that's the way the fact that we are talking more openly and there's you know just these different you know thinks and um you know i i happen to to co-own a, a, a organic tampon company called true true moon um there's uh what's the other one the um you know the one that had those really great videos um I can't even remember them right now, but just, they, just there's just been some really great stuff that's been up and around yeah. and bringing that topic to the to the surface, which I think will fundamentally change the way that girls feel about being female and that particular aspect of being female. Yeah. Tell everyone about True Moon and your feminine Caroline. And I love that it celebrates this attitude of, you know, celebrating our femininity and, and being a woman. How did how did that come to be? Yeah, so it's actually connected to Real Girl. Um, My business partner Shelley um, was would often, you know, be sitting in on on some of our workshops and camps. Sometimes she was there taking video, you know, whatever. And she was in on a uh, one group that we had, and it was girls that were like. 12, 13, 14 years old. And we were talking, we talked before and after about like, how do you feel about the topic of menstruation? How did you feel when you first got your period, blah, blah, blah. And then after we did our, the moon cycle presentation, which you know about Katie, cause you, we did it in, in our training. Yeah. We asked them again, um, how do you feel now? And one little girl said, um, the only thing that I was told before was that, um, having my period was punishment for what Eve did. 
And Shelly and I looked at each other and we're just like, okay, this has to, this has to stop. This messaging has to stop. Like the very thing that is responsible for the continuation of the species, our capacity to grow human beings, if we so choose, um, this amazing cycle that is, you know, parallel to other powerful cycles in, in, in nature is, is a topic of shame. So True Moon really came out of like, yes, we wanted to, to offer women a healthy, um, feminine care option um, because our vaginas happen to be the most porous part of our body. And if you put um, a tampon in that has chemicals in it, it's you're asking for trouble. Um, but more importantly, and the thing that really has defined True Moon is we wanted to we wanted the education piece to be part of that. So yes, we wanted to provide this healthier, safer option in terms of um, feminine care. But more importantly, we wanted to use that as a vehicle for educating girls and women about um, the, the, the realities of their cycle, the power of their cycle, even when it comes with cramps and all that other stuff, there's still, you know, portions of our cycle that gives us such tremendous strength. Um, uh, and so we wanted to bring that to the table. So that's really what, how True Moon came about and what, what it, why it exists, why it's so important to us. Yeah, it's so cool. You gave me a kit of of True Moon, and it's mm -hmm. in my bathroom out, you know, for people to use if they want. But also is like a billboard for people to ask me about it, and I like I hope love that it. They do, yeah. It's, Katie, it's you're so great. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I told you, I'm your cheerleader. <laughs> you um, are. So, so you're like me, Anaya, and you do about a million and one things. Mm -hmm. um, another thing that you do, and, and while I was researching you for the podcast today, I, I actually listened to an episode of it, even though I'm, I'm not a parent myself, but you co-host an amazing, mm. a rad <laughs> parenting podcast. Um, I listened to your episode with Ben Lee, who I <sighs> love. It was oh. such a good episode. Oh, he was so amazing. Oh yeah, God, he seems way cool. I, he's incredible. He he's incredible, and it was just a true honor to uh, to 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 have the opportunity to interview him and get his perspectives on parenting and this whole spiritual component. And my gosh, yeah, like if you were gonna if I, if I if somebody was gonna listen to one episode, honestly, I'd be like, yeah. go for that one. Um, yeah, rad parenting again came up really organically, and it is honestly the easiest, funnest thing that I do of all the things you know yeah. that I do. And, um, it's just really been, it's, it's been what I, the, it's been tremendously successful in a relatively short period of time. And I think the reason is that the topic of parenting is so, um, charged because when we become parents, we want to get it right. We want to do it well. And, um, it also comes like our kids don't come with a guidebook. And I think our generation is in this unique, really beautifully powerful position to make a, a huge change in terms of the way that our our children grow grow up and the kinds of human beings that they become, and um, so parents are tuning in. They want guidance, but Joe, my my co-host on Rad Parenting, is a comedian. So we we're diving into all these like really intense topics um, with levity because there's lots of banter and laughter and he's also a parent and um, there's no shaming, there's no authoritative, you should or you must, but just, um, you know, my expertise um, as, a, as a, research and a researcher and a professional and as a parent and then, you know, Joe's comedy and his experience as a parent and it just, the combination, it just seems to be a really, a really great mix that um, people are really digging. So I'm super proud of it and happy that you mentioned it. Yeah, oh, it's it's honestly so good. And I had about 
a 10 million questions that I wanted to ask you and a bunch of them were on, <laughs> were on parenting, but I'm going to, I have to ask you the quick fire questions and the questions I ask okay. everyone because people tweet at me if I don't and they'll be upset. So we have to get to those, <laughs> I'm but I'm, I'm going ready. to not ask my questions about parenting and just suggest that people go and listen to Rad Parenting because it's such a good podcast. I'm not even a parent or anywhere close to being a parent, but I loved it and, and got so much value out Thank of it. You. So. That sounds great. Yeah. Okay. So a couple questions that, that I ask everyone and some that, that are specific to you that are more fun and, and we can kind of do the, we got to burn through these. So we'll do okay. that as like more quick fire, but, got but it. take your time. So what does your morning routine look like? Maybe you can share a couple of the first things you do when you wake up in the morning and how that affects how the rest of your day goes. Sure. Sure. Um, I try to wake up before my eight year old so that I can have at least 30 to 45 minutes of time to myself. During that time, I make a gigantic cup, like three tea bags of green tea. And I, um, right now am, am moving through three books, um, a Woman's Worth by Marianne Williamson for the thir- second or third time. I love that. Um, book. I'm reading Osho, which my oldest daughter introduced me to, and loving that. I'm reading a book called Love, Freedom, and Aloneness, and also The Soul of Money, because I've got some stuff that I'm working through around <laughs> money. And so that's what I do for the first half an hour of my day. I almost treat it like a meditation to sit and read and know consciously that I'm doing something for myself before I go and I'm in service as a parent or, you know, in the other ways that I try to be in service to, to others. Mm, love that. Great morning routine. And I am a green tea drinker as well. Yep. It's it's where it's at. It's the best. <laughs> so what about on the other end of the day? What are some of your evening routines? Last few things you do before bed? How do you wind down and relax after your day? Um, I uh, get my little one to bed. Usually her bedtime is like between 8.30 and 9. And then I um, usually wind down um, by just sort of making sure I'm ready for the next day. I like to make my to-do list for the next day so that I kind of go to bed knowing what's what I'm waking up to. And then the thing I've been doing now for several minutes that I really love, and I sort of call it a palate cleanser, is I watch comedy. So I'll watch like a Netflix, like I love John Mulaney. I've been watching Jim Gaffigan, like that kind of comedy that is just light and fun and it just puts me to sleep with um yeah just sort of a a lightness that that I really love oh I love that I as you know too am a huge fan of of comedy and and I think it's really it like you said it's great to kind of shut off but also I think comedians are are really the philosophers of of our day so it it does kind of the same work that that you're doing and we're talking about about shifting the way we see things and and seeing things in our daily life a little bit differently agreed agreed 100% so you live in LA but like you said you you grew up in Canada Mm -hmm. Um, and I heard recently that on another podcast actually that LA isn't really a easy city like maybe New York or Paris to be a tourist in and it's rather you know it's it's better to come to LA pretending you're you're a local when, during your mm. visit to to have a great experience with it so for someone who's lived in LA for many years what advice would you give to someone visiting LA for the first time and what do you love most about the city that you live in hmm. uh, rent a car that's the big challenge of getting around LA is it's just not like public transportation friendly. Um, and so get a car and map out 
what or, or or Uber, yeah. I mean, you'd have to weigh out the whatever's more you know financially friendly for you, um, and then plan out what you want to do before you get here with a certain degree of openness in terms of just discovering what else there might be. Um, and the thing I love most about LA is easy. I mean, as a girl from the prairies in Canada, I wake up here almost every day so thankful that I don't really have to think about the weather because most days it's going to be sunny, it's going to be warm without being too hot. We have some you know super hot days, but that is um, that vitamin D is so good for my soul, and um, we pay for that with traffic. But I, you know, if you live in an area that you love and you don't have to drive too far, um, it's, it's the jam. I love it. (laughs) Yes. And you have a lemon tree in your backyard. I do. I do. Amazing. Um, what is your favorite part? If you had to pick one thing of the work that you do with women and girls? Whew. The, my favorite part, my favorite part is, um, is when I see, those moments of like my voice matters, my thoughts matter, I love my body um, because I think that that's a precursor to stepping out into the world and and offering the gifts. I think that we all, you know, Michael Mead says that we we all come into the world, every human being comes in with a, an inner genius or an inner gift. And I think that the moment that that, you know, the beginning of that healing happens or we recognize our value or that there's something that we have to offer, I think it, it, it you know, the next step is that we're able to to figure out how we're going to do that and to live in the world in a more healthy, whole way. And I just think that that's beautiful. Mm, that is beautiful. So if you had to describe your feminism in in about one sentence or so, Mm. how would you define your feminism and what feminism means to you today? Um, So feminism to me means creating balance in the world so that I think of of, um, humanity as a team and I feel like for you know, a few thousand years now, we've only been playing with half of our team and the other half has been sitting on the bench. So to me, feminism is all about rallying to to support those that have been sitting on the bench, um, which is mostly the female half of our team, and, um, and, and, and getting the whole team to realize what a benefit it is for us all if we're all playing to our fullest potential. So that's what feminism is to me. And um, what was the other part of that question? That was it. And mic drop because that's okay. the best definition <laughs> of feminism that I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> um, that is so good. So if you could whisper in the ears of mothers, what is one piece of advice that you would give to mothers today? Um, be, be the woman. Embody the woman that you want your daughter to become. You're killing it. Also beautiful answer. <laughs> what is your ultimate vision and goals? Big, think like humongous and quadruple everything. What is your ultimate vision for Real Girl? Um, global access to, um, to, to girls and women as, and as it turns out it's probably going to be boys too but um, global access and what I mean by that is the opportunity and we see it happening in Guatemala to reach women and girls in you know various parts of the world um, and, and you know whisper into their ears 
you are so valuable and we need you so that we can all be whole. Oh, I love that. Oh, you're killing it with these answers. So good. <laughs> so this, this question is kind of personal to me and, and I w- would love your advice on this. So this is kind of a selfish one, okay. but I think it'll help other people too. So you, like me, like I said, do lots of things and I've lately been feeling kind of like a jack of all trades, master of none. So do you ever feel that way? Do you ever struggle with feeling unfocused? And how do you bring yourself to focus, to concentrate on, on one particular thing? <laughs> I, I, you remember me saying that I've got three books going right now, right? Um, are we just twins in this? <laughs> I was seriously, I don't, it's so, okay. So I, I can't, let me see here. I, I have a hard time saying no to anything that I feel passionate about or that I feel like I can have a hand in in helping or yes. you know so that so that's so that's the part of what makes it difficult, right? To be focused. Yes. I so hear any, that. I feel right? like we're very similar. Oh my gosh. It's really not like I'm superwoman and I have to say yes to everything because it's not a it's not really not from no. a place of pleasing. It really is more that if I can I want to. Yeah. Uh, and it's not even people pleasing. And I so relate to what you're saying. It's almost yeah. like I want to I know I can help and I want to and I think it would be fun. <laughs> Exactly. Yes, exactly. And I think so the way that I get focused honestly has more to do with my focus comes with what's the next thing that absolutely has to be dealt with now. So whether it's like a proposal deadline or I have to prepare for a speaking engagement or, you know, I have a writing deadline or whatever, that that is what dictates what I focus on, you know, most immediately um, and, and everything else kind of you know, has to be put to the side. The challenge is that, you know, when there's not a specific deadline, oh my gosh, like I just have a list, a list and I try to knock as many things off on any, on any given day. And um, that's part of what my to-do is all about is, okay, prioritize an A and try to stay focused. That's the best I can do that and a little caffeine. Yeah, (laughs) I totally get that. So, okay, this one is is also kind of selfish, selfish, but again, I think I'm not alone in my, in my, you know, curiosity about this, but Sometimes I know for me, and lately this has been something I've been thinking quite a lot about, my therapist actually told me that I, I used to always say, oh, I feel so many feelings, and I'm always feeling feelings, and, and she told me recently, she was like, Katie, you don't feel feelings, you think feelings, and you need to be in your body more and actually feeling things and, and feeling your emotions to, to define them. So do you have any advice, because you seem like a very embodied person, so I'm kind of just like asking everyone this lately because it's something that I'm I'm thinking a lot about, but about actually feeling our feelings, even the dis, you know discomfort or yeah. the negative ones, and actually being in them so you can move through them because, you know, on the other side of sadness is happiness and joy, but we don't want to feel the feelings we don't want to feel, so we work over them or we eat over them or we do, yep. you know, other things over them, so how do you get yourself to feel or we think over them which is where all the thinking comes yeah I spent a lot of time in my head Um, so this has been a new practice for me and I think it really requires a conscious effort that that starts to become you know as with anything that we decide we're going to practice and that we want to make part of our you know our embodied reality 
Um, and so I have to consciously choose to drop down into my body. Um, it's easiest for me when I'm like, you know, uh, I have a little altar that I'll sit at and I'll just have like 10 minutes of quiet time and really try to be present and, you know, drop down into my body, which to me is also dropping down into my intuition and my wisdom, yeah. um, which feels different than all the, the chaos when my, when my brain is running the show. Um, and in terms of, I love that you referenced the feelings in terms of sitting with them. So I've been, again, consciously choosing as of late, and it's not, it's more recent than I'd like to admit, but of sitting with sadness and almost picturing myself, like it's almost like I'll put the sadness in the center. If I close my eyes, it's almost like I'm circling it. I'm walking around and I'm looking at it from all sides, but I'm just letting it be and I'm asking it to tell me what it is it has to teach me. Um, so you know, that happens to work for me. And, and I have also found, and I think this is what helps to, for it to become more embodied is that when you do that and you start to see how much more quickly you move through it than when you resist it or you numb it, that's incentive to keep coming back and doing it that way. So instead of running from it, sitting with it, looking at it, asking what it has to teach us, um, when you start to see that you move through it more quickly, you, you're like, oh, I'm going to do, I'm, going to try that again because that's much better than having this drag out for weeks and months. <laughs> oh, yes. Well, it must have been my intuition that I knew I knew you'd come through. I knew I could ask you that question <laughs> and you would have a good answer. That is so helpful to me right now in particular. So, yeah, so good. Um, all right, these next few ones we can burn through cuz they're they're much lighter. So, okay. favorite color? Oh, um red yellow orange <laughs> favorite day of the week oh wow uh friday favorite hour of the day hmm like uh first thing first first dawn nice favorite vegetable hmm um i like lots of different vegetables uh cucumber tomato avocado mixed together oh yum Favorite fruit? Um, hmm, a hard nectarine. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> so, like, thirst quenching, right? <laughs> yes, it's awesome. Favorite or best meal you've eaten recently, like, in the last week, something that comes to mind? Mm. What I had last night was pretty good. I had this, like, lemon chicken piccata with, with mashed potatoes and grilled vegetables, and it was amazing. Ooh, yum. Favorite way to relax? Hmm. Uh, massage. Oh, yes. I just had one yesterday at the airport. <laughs> that was amazing. Yeah, it's so good. <laughs> What's your the best part of your day so far today? This. Yay, me too. Yeah, yeah. So much fun. What is your favorite city that you've ever traveled to? Ooh, Wow. Um, gosh, that's a tough one. It, I don't know that I can, I really loved Paris this last time around. I have to say, uh, London, let's go with London. I was there earlier this year and it was the bomb. Cause I'm like, I'm in a foreign country, but we speak the same language. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. yeah. I really want to go to London as well oh, and so Paris. Good. So good. What are you most excited about in your life right now? 
I'm excited about um, the our expansion in in Guatemala because I am the the impact is is so profound and it's so inspiring. Um, so that that mm. for sure, really good. What is the best lesson you've learned about romantic relationships? Whew. Um, the best lesson that I've learned uh, that. Um, there has to be there has to be um, a balance and a, 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 a constant awareness of of we each need to honor our own journey and that the moment that we ask our partner to veer off of theirs to better meet ours or vice versa that we're we're going off track and we need to um, communicate and see if we can get sort of back into, you know, parallel paths again, or that we may have come to the end of our cycle together in terms of inspiring growth in each other. And it may be time to construct our relationship in a different way, like maybe a no longer romantic relationship. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, nice. So this is the time where you recommend a bunch of stuff. So mm. favorite movie or a movie you saw recently that you want to recommend anything that's coming to mind in that category? Um, I thought I saw Tarzan um, not too long ago in the theater, and it was I, I thought just spectacular. There were some issues with it, but I thought it was one of the most beautiful movies I've seen in a long time. Cool, yeah, I wanted to see that as well. What about a song? Either a favorite song, one you come back to a lot, or one that right now you've been listening to on repeat. Anything you want to recommend? Oh there? my God, that's embarrassing. <laughs> Tell us. Jeez, I listen to so much pop music. It's 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 embarrassing. I love uh, it. Uh, <laughs> um, oh goodness gracious! Um, there's I can't even believe I'm saying this. There is a um, a couple of new Justin Bieber tunes that I just love, and I am embarrassed to say that. Um, I guess that he's Canadian. I want to support my yeah. Canadians. But um, yeah, there's just, there's just something about these. There's a couple new songs, Lifeline, I think, and Cold Water or something. Um, I just I just like them. I just dig them. Yeah, <laughs> catchy. Can't can't go wrong there. What about TV show? Anything that has been? Oh yes, I, you know, and this is it's both. This is both lovely and frustrating. Mm-hmm. Um, I am rewatching uh, through Netflix the Commander in Chief. Um, it was they only got one season oh. Gina Davis playing president of the United States um it's so badass it was just ahead of its time I don't think people were ready for it and I want to be like I want to call her up and be like Gina please go back and make more seasons because it's so it's so on point it's just it's so great oh, that cool. and and you know the one that is still in play that is I guess you know would be a great you know if you since that's not going to happen is uh the Taya Leone um uh Madam 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 Secretary? Is that what it's called? Oh, anyway, yeah. It also, just, just really good stuff showing women in positions of power and just how, how we do it differently, how we lead differently and beautifully. Are they both on Netflix, you said? Um, I, I'm not sure about the, um, the Taya Leone. Yeah, Netflix, Commander-in-Chief, the Gina Davis one is yeah. definitely on Netflix. And then um, the Taya Leone's Madam Secretary, which I think is what it's called, is, uh, is, is active. Like I think they're on hiatus right oh. now, but they're going into their third season. Oh, yep. cool. I'm going to watch the, the Madam President one. Check it out. Yeah, for sure. Um, what about book? 
a book that you well, you already mentioned a couple, but is yeah, there one that you really want to recommend to people other than your own and the ones that you mentioned. Yeah, for sure. No, I would say um, you know I'm I'm reading a woman's worth as I said for the second time, and it's um, I think you know given your audience, that's to me it's like it's essential. That's like yeah. a it's a fundamental read. Yeah. In terms of our healing and our like, really like re- remembering, because I think it really is about remembering. We're not we're not discovering something new. We're finding our way back. We're remembering what we knew as little girls. We re- we're remembering what we knew, you know, generations before the patriarchy patriarchy became the dominant force. Yeah, I had lots of watershed moments reading that book, and I feel like I need to pick it up again myself. It was hmm. really really impactful for me too. Wow. All right. I feel like I rang you out. I melted you for <laughs> all that you're worth. I mean, this is amazing, but I could also talk to you for like three more days. So thank so you good. so much for doing oh, the podcast and, and taking so much time. I like you, like you already know, I know I just think the world of you. So how do you feel? Is there anything, the, the name of this podcast is let it out. So is there anything that you still need to let out? Anything you wish that I would have asked you? Did you have fun? Oh gosh, I had so much fun. Um, I, I can't believe the amount of territory we covered. That was just beautiful. You're just such a thoughtful um, uh, host, interviewer. I mean, it just, it just, those were just such great, potent questions. Um, I can't think of anything. You know, I can't, I can't think of anything else. But you know. But yeah, we did it, and and I'll be letting more out, you know, because I'm constantly doing that, speaking and writing, and and you know, hopefully there'll be other ways if if people want to hear more. So yes, awesome. oh, thank you for the opportunity. I appreciate well, it. This was so much fun. Our very tangential conversation. I wish that we would have gotten to linger in some topics and go deeper, but I felt like I was a bad host actually because today because I was so wanting to get in all the questions I wanted to ask you and I didn't know how much time I had so you'll have to come back but until then tell everyone where they can find you how they can support Real Girl I really encourage people to donate to the philanthropy of Real Girl if they all feel called to help this organization that means so much to me personally and of course to Anea and to get involved and, and just follow you guys how, how can they do that? So, um, realgirlprograms.com is where there's, you know, all the information about Real Girl and various places that, you know, people can donate and get more information. You know, our Facebook page, the Real Girl Facebook page, um, my personal, or my, my professional page, Anea Bogue is more sort of women focused. So that's another place. Um, and then, and then also aneabogue.com where, you know, there's always little blips about, you know, where I'm speaking or different things I've written or whatever, um, and uh, I just love hearing from people. So you can also email me, anea at aneabogue.com, if there are you know, questions or things that maybe you, know, you wanted to hear more about. I, I just love hearing from, from people when they're um, inspired or moved by um, something that I happen to have shared. Um, and maybe we can you know, dive deeper. My conversation with Anea. I love her. Thank you so much for doing the show. I love Real Girl. Please check it out. Please support it. It means so much to me. I love that organization and this woman so much. I'm so glad that they came into my life. If you haven't listened to my conversation with Valerie yet, she's the reason why this happened. She is how I found out about Real Girl, how I met Anea, and that conversation was recorded about a year ago now. So be sure to listen to my conversation with Val if you haven't already. It's a great compliment to this podcast. 
and subscribe to the show, leave a review, share it with a friend, and tweet at Anea and I. Tweet at Real Girl, tweet at me. Let us know what you thought of the episode. If you learned something, if it made you feel less alone, if it entertained you, let us know. All right, I love you guys, and I'm going to announce who's coming on the podcast next week in my newsletter. So sign up for my newsletter list, and I would say they go out every week, but they don't. I, I They just go out when I'm inspired, which, which hopefully is every week, but you know what? I missed one this past week, but you know, they'll, they'll go out when they go out, and I think you guys are cool with that, because you guys are really cool, chill people, which I'm finding in the Facebook group, so where I'm getting to know a lot of you. So if you want to join the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. The link to do that is in the show notes. I love you guys. I said that already. And it's really late at night again, which is where I tend to record these. So if you're still listening to this, tweet at me your last thing you do before you go to bed at night. For me, I was going to say that's brush my teeth, but then I usually get in bed and lie there for a while, maybe look at my phone, probably listening to something on my phone as I close my eyes and fall asleep, which sounds really good right now. So I'm going to go do that. Love you guys. Bye.